0: This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. but I guess you guys can probably figure out what we're going to talk about. Mostly today, Wild wins 3 nothing Game 6, Wednesday night over Vegas at XL Energy Center. That means there will be a Game 7 in Vegas, Friday, 8 p.m. Not too bad. Better than 9.30, right? Winner take all. Game 7. Lead, I remind you, the Wild 3-0 all-time. In Game Sevens, um, all of them being on the road. That history doesn't necessarily mean much at this point. Of course, different teams, different eras. Just a reminder that it can happen. That it's uh, you know that these completions of comebacks, that these games, it is not impossible to win on the road. In fact, for the Wild, that has been the norm in their history. I'm going to talk a lot about that game here coming up. We'll also have Randy Johnson. Uh, covers gophers football for the star Tribune get a little update on that beat as they get prepared to hit the recruiting trail in person for the first time in quite some time next week uh in in the in the bigger picture of things but first like I say what did I miss yeah it was the game last night that was all anybody could talk about and the biggest biggest point I want to make right off the bat is I think Dean Evison, head coach of the wild deserves a lot of credit in that game I think there's a lot of kind of back and forth going into the game who's going to be in the lineup people wanting them to change up the the what they've been doing after even after game 5 a game where they were outshot 40 to 14 but did come away with the win in Vegas 4-2 I wanted Matt Boldy in the lineup. He was skating with the team in the optional skate Wednesday morning. You saw him, you know, working with some of their best players. You were running. Is, is Boldy coming in? Is, is this is this going to be the the moment where Dean Evason goes, you know, goes all in and pushes the rookie into the starting lineup in the in in you know in the hopes of getting more scoring punch? But in the end, he ends up going with the same lineup he had in Game 5, and, you know, I had so I had my doubts about it because I did not think they played great in Game 5. But give D. Nevison credit. That was the right button to push because this turned out to be a very tight-checking game. I don't know if that's the game you want to put your rookie into. You know what I mean? A game where one mistake, someone who maybe isn't, you know, not that a rookie is naturally going to make a mistake, but he might be more, a little bit more prone to make a mistake. He might not be quite as familiar with the systems you want to play. He's not as, as familiar with the teammates. He would be playing with, so you know, going with the more veteran group, not putting him in the lineup at that point, probably pretty smart uh, on Dean Evison's part. So I think that was, you know, maybe I don't know if it was subterfuge. I don't know if you know they're kind of playing some mind games with with Vegas and uh, you know and, and pretending like like he might play. I think I think there was a de- definitely was a chance that Marcus Felina wasn't going to be able to go. Definitely was a chance that some other guys could have drawn out of that game because of the way they had played before. But Dean Evanson ends up staying the course with the lineup and is rewarded with probably the best game this team has played overall in this series. I still don't think this is the best they can play, period. Uh, but I think that was the best they've played overall in this series, uh, which which bodes well for uh, you know bode well for not only for their chances in Game Six but certainly for Game Seven. So that's that's one one piece of where I think Dean Nevison should get some credit. Number two. I think he just kind of he out coached in game uh, Pete DeBoer, the head coach for uh, for for Vegas. Um, I think DeBoer and the Vegas were pretty tight in this game. To be honest, they were they were pressing. You get them into this kind of tight checking game where you know they they they're not going to be able to have all the open ice they wanted. They had a lot of open ice, a lot of line rushes, uh, even in game five when they lost, and a lot of those previous games where they got that momentum going and it kind of snowballed. They didn't give that to him in the. Uh, in Game Six on a, on Wednesday night, it was a lot more controlled. It was a lot more back and forth. It was you know it felt kind of like a Game Seven already, where neither team was going to make a mistake. And I think that boded well for the Wild because it made Vegas play even tighter, realizing there was a certain desperation setting. It's like, oh man, you know we had this series in our control, had the game at our building to win in Game Five, that got away. Now we're back here where we haven't played well, even though we won. You know, three and four in Minnesota. They got to be thinking, ah, you know, we're 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 getting you know we're getting some chances, but this doesn't feel like this open flow game. And I think a lot of that has to do with the systems they put in place. I think the Wild played a much better second period uh, in this game. And I think a lot of that is tactical. I think a lot of that is coming from Dean Evason and and understanding what Vegas was doing to spring so many chances. And again, it wasn't a a perfect second period, uh, but Vegas stayed off the scoreboard, and they had far fewer chances than they'd had in previous second periods. Enjoy your money, your way, when you switch to Royal Credit Union. You can pay friends and family for free, deposit checks on the go, and even get alerts about your accounts sent in real time. Stop in and open your account today, or get started at rcu.org slash your way. Insured by NCUA. I want to play a clip, actually, from uh, from Marcus Foligno talking about the second period and how he thought that was their best second period that they had played in this series.
1: It's it's been like that all season. I mean, honestly, I think uh, you know, just from Cam on out. I mean, it's just been that uh, mindset where we're we're never out of it. Uh, you know, games that might be away from us in the first and second, we always have a chance. So, um, you know, Cam, unbelievable tonight, and and just, you know, everyone just. Playing the right way. Finally, our second period was the way we wanted to play, and um, our, our best one yet in the series so far. So uh, again, just we just keep uh, keep playing, keep, keep keep working hard, and and uh, we know we we have the the firepower to get goals in the net, and um, you know the work ethic is always there. So that's what's great about our team, and and that's why we're we're in a game seven situation.
0: So then it comes to the third period, right? It's still zero zero going into the third period. Vegas has got to be pressing a little bit. Wild gets a great play along the board. Zach Parisi chips it ahead. I'll talk about him a little bit little bit in a moment here. Chips it ahead to Kevin Fiala. Great line rush. Gets it to Ryan Hartman. That's one nothing right there. Then Vegas comes back, gets what looks like it could be the tying goal, but there's goalie interference involved in it. You know, Everson's up on the bench yelling, hey, this is exactly what happened to us a couple games ago. DeBoer ends up challenging it. It's ruled no goal on the ice, which is a big deal for the Wild, but DeBoer ends up challenging it. Pretty risky. It felt to me like that was a desperation challenge. He said after the game it was worth it. His players backed him up. I get it. You know, Something so big as is a goal in the third period that could tie a game is quite possibly worth challenging, but that to me was a pretty cut-and-dried interference on the ice. It was kind of an outcome-based challenge. And not a uh, not an intellectual based challenge. It felt like a Mike Tice challenge. No offense to Mike Tice. Love Mike Tice, but he used to make challenges like that with the Vikings where they had no chance of succeeding. He was just upset that the play didn't go their way. Mike Zimmer does that a little bit sometimes too. He just throws the throws the you know the challenge flag in the NFL in uh, you know in disgust. Wants to get the call overturned because he just wants the play to be different. I felt like the board did that a little bit in Wednesday's game. He wanted that goal so bad, he wanted that call so bad. That he was willing to challenge it, even though there was a risk. You know, in the NHL, obviously, there's a risk. You lose the challenge, you give up a power play. And it was a quick review no goal, one nothing wild. And what happens on the ensuing power play? Kevin Fiala scores two nothing wild. There you go. That's I mean it's, that wasn't quite your ball game at that point, but uh, you know when you go up two zero in the third period and you've got that momentum, and then of course Nick Bukesteed gets the the real kind of the real dagger goal later in the third period. But that's a huge momentum swing, and it was already a momentum swing when you think you score and you don't. Pete DeBoer added to that by making the challenge unsuccessful, so you feel bad about that, and then on top of that you give up the power play that gives the Wild a two nothing lead. So. Another example of how I think Dean Everson outcoached Pete DeBoer in that game. I want to hear a clip right now from Cam Talbot, actually. Uh, It was funny, after the game, that the wild goalie was asked about that interference play and what a pivotal moment it was and what he was thinking as that play was unfolding in front of him. I'm always nervous. I never get those calls. (laughs) But the way that they've been calling them all playoff long, it'd be hard to to overturn that. I mean, TJ was um, yelling at him while he was in the crease. Uh, the entire time and then called it a goal originally and then um eventually made the right call and and overturned it but uh yeah if that one stood um be i probably wouldn't be sitting here right now i'd just be getting fined third piece of this is i think evison did a good job keeping the guys relatively loose i don't know how much of that's on coaching how much is just you know the attitude these players have had all year but i think the attitude they've had all year has been fueled in part by by dean evison's messaging and just how he has them prepared for these games. How he's not, you know, having them grind, grind, grind. How he's not, you know, putting too much pressure on them. I thought he had a great quote after the game, talking about, you know, kind of working in tandem with Bill Guerin, who's been there before, who's seen Pittsburgh win two Stanley Cups as an assistant GM there, who knows, you know, Kevin Fiala, perfect example, right? He's not having, a, not having a great series coming into Game Six. He's he's had chances for sure, but the you know puck's not going in the net. Ends up making the two biggest plays offensively in 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 the whole game, where he you know, he sets up Ryan Hartman's goal with a beautiful pass on that two on one, then scores on that power play. This is Dean Evison talking about that, you know, before you know what the message was before the game, and and I thought this was interesting. So let, let's just listen to the clip first off.
1: Billy Garen talked to us I don't know, a couple of games ago and and said, you know, to talk to Kevin and and just just tell him that we'll need him at some point like it doesn't have to be every game and coming from a guy like that that knows and has been there and done that and that it it doesn't have to be every game right it just you have to just stay the course play right and maybe maybe you'll get a chance to make a difference and he did tonight so Kevin hasn't changed anything he's played the same way just got rewarded tonight.
0: You know, and that's a great point, because we do tend to think about these players like, ah, they didn't score in three games. Like, you know, in a season, if you don't score in three games, that's not that big of a deal. Like, you, you aren't expected to score every game. As long as you're bringing a certain level of effort, as long as the chances are there, you have to believe that it will come. Things get magnified in the playoffs. Like, here's the thing. Like, if the, the if the series would have ended after five games, we would have been talking about Kevin Fiala and how he didn't succeed in this series. But... Because the series gets a, gets extended to a game six, he gets more chances, he gets a goal, he gets an assist in this game. He he now all of a sudden has some momentum and some positive energy. He was the same player, like Dean Evison said, the whole time, but now he gets rewarded for it. And I think a lot of that is the messaging from Dean Evison, making sure these guys know, hey, your time will come, stick with it. You don't have to score every single game. That's unrealistic. As long as you keep with it, your time will come and you will score the goals that we need you to score when we need you to score them. Let's talk about Zach Parisi's game for a little bit. Um, Made the chip along the wall, set up that, spring that two on one with Kevin Fiala and Ryan Hartman. Great little play, veteran play. Uh, The overriding thing with, with Parisi in this game is I watched it, you know, just. Wondering about the future, I guess. You, you don't know what's going to happen in Game 7. You don't know what's going to happen beyond, you know, the next month or two. But there was, you couldn't help but wonder, is this possibly Zach Friese's last game at XL Energy Center, at least in a wild sweater? Again, hard hard to ma- imagine what's going to happen in the offseason. I think it would be hard to trade him from a contractual standpoint. But so much has happened this season that makes you wonder where his place is in this organization. Now... His last two games have shown you his value. You know he scores the goal in uh, in game five in Vegas that, that gives them the lead. Uh, makes the makes the kind of spring ahead pass in this game that gives them the lead. Um, you know I don't know if they win those games with Zach without Zach Parisi in the lineup. You know that said this this season's more than the last two games. So I don't know what's going to happen with him. Big picture, what I do know is this: if for some reason that ends up being the last game he played at XL Energy Center, if the wild lose game seven uh in vegas which you know we don't know what's going to happen in that game if something happens this offseason where they just come to an agreement where yeah this run was great nine years but but it's time to move on we we need to find a way to uh, to move on and and get you get you to a different team Um, i'm glad that he was able to have that game regardless i'm glad that you know this this didn't end on a completely negative note for Zach Parise. If for some reason that was the end, so that's just the big that's the bigger picture point I wanted to make from watching that game, from seeing him play in that game. Um, it's it's just good to see how he was able to rally his season, regardless of what comes next. One other thing before I move on from this game, I thought the Wild, like I said, did a much better job in the second period. That to me was a key to this game. They'd been outscored eight to one in the second period of of the first five games this season, that period's been a problem for the Wild all year. Outscored, I believe, 61-46 in the second period during the regular season. They had great first periods. They had great third periods in the in the regular season. And again, you saw that. You kind of felt like if they could get through that second period without giving up the lead, they had a very good chance. And when you go in 0-0 after one that puts some pressure on your second period, but they didn't give Vegas the same quality chances that they'd had before in the second period. I think they gave up three of what they call high-danger chances in the second period. That's not ideal, but it's pretty good, especially compared to what they've been given up, and Cam Talbot denied all of those, um, You know, played a really good game again, but he had to be very good in this game instead of superhuman, which he's had to be in previous games. So found a way to slow Vegas's speed, in that second period to to keep them from getting that, you know, one minute, one and a half minute possession times that, you know, that create those opportunities that tire you out, that, 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 you know, that demoralize you and totally tilt momentum. It just didn't feel like they tilted momentum in the same way. And as a result, the Wild was able to get out of that period, you know, zero, zero still setting up a third period, which has been a very good period for them. And of course was in game six. So the Wild would need to do more of the same in game seven if they expect to advance in this series and not just make it a nice story. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribunecom slash subscribe. Happy to have Randy Johnson on Daily Delivery today. Randy covers Gopher football. For the Star Tribune, new to the beat, but he's been on the beat before. Welcome back to uh, to the Gopher football beat, Randy, and uh, yeah, welcome, uh, welcome to the show today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike. Kind of a back to the future thing. I was on it for a couple of years, and then uh, went went on the puck drop and uh, Gophers hockey, and college hockey beat, and no, it's been fun to get back here, and you're uh, looking forward to it
0: you're more big Lebowski than back to the future. You always will be your, your Walter, <laughs> You're Walter Sobchak in my mind, always uh, with the, with the fantastic uh, Halloween outfits, but uh, we'll, we'll leave that. Uh, we'll leave that at that. Um, so I understand you had a chance to chat with uh, coach PJ Fleck earlier in the week. Um, you know, we've had access to PJ along the way, but you know, maybe you can kind of give me a little overview of, you know, some of the key takeaways from, from that, I read your story. You can see that on start tribune, start uh, earlier this week, but you know, what were some of the key takeaways from talking to PJ and just kind of getting an update on where they are at this point in the, you know, in the planning for 2021.
1: Yeah. It was the first time I uh, sat down and talked to him since uh, the spring game. Uh, basically, you know, just checking in and see, see where, what, uh, what all they're doing, what, what, what uh, this time of year is about. A um, little bit different this year just because of uh, uh, COVID and the recruiting uh, shutdown uh, that uh, they weren't able to go out uh, and recruit in person that, that ends on June 1st on Tuesday. So they'll, they'll be hitting the road uh, to look at players and they'll, they'll be hitting, they'll have satellite camps uh, in different areas of the country and they'll be having their own camps. Um, June will be busy with recruiting. They'll have um, a couple weekends in June and certain weekdays where they'll, they'll have uh, recruits visiting. Uh, it might not be as uh, the number of visits might not be as much as they have in the past. It, it's, it's more of a, I, I'd say precision, you know, they're, they're aiming at certain players. Uh, you, you probably won't be seeing the recruiting class of 22, 2022, having, you know, say 20 to 25 players. It'd be more in the teens likely just sure. And it's a little different now with the whole uh, transfer uh, portal and everything. And uh, kind of like almost like free agency. And uh, PJ's talking a little bit like uh, basically more of a general manager role at times uh, in, in managing the roster.
0: And that's funny you say that because I, I think I tweeted like a couple months ago, and this wasn't for PJ, this was for Gopher Men's Basketball. But once Ben Johnson got hired, and then you could see the roster fluctuation i think i tweeted something like who who do you think is going to have a better year in free agency go for basketball or the vikings because it, it feels like <laughs> it feels like free agency at this point to a large degree and it, it must change his job um you know fairly significantly i'd imagine
1: yeah i think so you know he, he has to even this year they, they, they filled some spots uh got a couple uh defensive linemen uh one from clemson um, one from north carolina state basically to help uh, bolster the depth there and, and, you know, get some talent, more talent in there. Uh, yeah. So th- there's a way to, uh, you might, you might uh, be able to address a weakness uh, uh, pretty immediately by using the transfer role.
0: Now, like, recruiting will always be the lifeblood of a program. Still, I would imagine, you know, getting your own players and getting them in for multiple years and getting them into your program. And that's been a big part of any success he's had anywhere he's gone. How, how, I mean, I think we've talked about a lot of problems, a, a lot of programs lost a lot during the, you know, the COVID pause. I think the Gophers lost more than a lot of others just because of the timing of things, how they had momentum going into 2020. And then they really didn't, you know, at least attendance wise. And then PJ, I'm sure some of what he's selling translates over zoom, but some of what he's selling is probably better pitched in person. And so I'm, I'm sure he's excited to kind of get back, more into that mode,
1: yeah, def- most definitely. There, he, he, he's, he's, you know, the whole th- thing. He said we're a people program, that type of thing. It's, you know, it's building those bonds. It's, it's easier to build a bond face to face in person than it is via video. So, he, I'm, he's pretty, uh, pretty excited to get back on the on the road and and, and uh, hook it up with the recruits.
0: More immediately. I mean, it's still a few months away at this point, but they opened the season, interestingly enough, against Ohio state at, at TCF bank stadium. They haven't, I think I read in your story, they haven't opened um, against a, I mean, in a traditional season. I mean, last year, they obviously played big 10 only, but in a traditional season, it's been a long time since their first game of the season was against a big 10 opponent. this is obviously a marquee opponent too. an opportunity um to to fill the stadium perhaps if all the restrictions have been lifted at that point but also um a pretty daunting task when you're talking about playing ohio state right off the bat
1: uh yeah you know you're you're talking one of the uh when college football's blue bloods you know it's they played for the national championship this past season you know they've won the big Ten four seasons in a row they're you know it's it's a it's a program that just keeps rolling uh uh, you know pj say they they reload they don't rebuild um you know they did lose quite a bit from last year including justin fields their quarterback who's now with the bears um uh they had uh, 10 players drafted uh, which tied the number that alabama had for the most uh, so they have some filling to do holes to fill but when you're filling them with uh with um, you know four and five stars you know, uh, recruits that makes it makes it a lot easier they're yeah. So it's it, you know, obviously Gophers will be underdog in that game. It's, it's interesting that, that they're, they're opening the big 10, um, season, uh, at, at home and basically, uh, the start, start the season. Uh, I, last time they did that besides Michigan last year was 1994 against, uh, Penn state. Uh, I remember that one pretty well. I was, I was working at the center daily times newspaper in state college, Pennsylvania at the time. I, a much younger version of myself, uh, but uh, the nineteen ninety four Penn State team went undefeated, and they and they opened with a fifty six to three victory over the Gophers. That that was the uh, uh, Kajana Carter, Kerry Collins team that uh, that uh, basically won the Rose Bowl over over Oregon that year.
0: Jim Wacker's team couldn't hang with uh with that squad, huh? Uh, no,
1: they couldn't. Uh, they they had. Uh, They had some trouble in that
0: game. Some trouble in that game. I would imagine PJ Flex team will be more competitive against Ohio state. you never know. I mean, it's a, like I said, an opportunity It's it's hard for me to really figure out what to make of this year's team, because obviously you had the 11 and two season in 2019, the big bowl game win. you know, opportunity missed to a certain degree. If you, you know, win one of those other games, maybe you're talking about, you know, a special, uh, even an even more special season. And then last year, three and four hard to really it's hard to know how to evaluate any team's season in 2020 so maybe your perspective and even pj's perspective on you know what do they take out of 2020 do they do they feel like they can kind of skip over that do they learn from that do they feel like yeah no we still had some problems last year we have to smooth out if we want to be back to where we were in 2019 or or somewhere near that
1: I think it's a combination of all those, Mike. Uh, yeah. Basically yeah, they there's, they've, they grew. Um, you saw them get better on defense. They were pretty bad beginning of the year. We all know um, that was something that they improved on. And I think they want to carry that over obviously this year. Uh, they seem to have, have more depth there this year. They're um, and linebacker, especially they, they brought in Jack Gibbons transfer from Abilene Christian who will help their um, Mariano Sorimar and doesn't have to do everything. Um, you get Braylon Oliver back from, from a knee injury. That'll help quite a bit. Um, yeah. I would, I would expect that that's one area where we should see if, the, if they'll be able to build upon what they did toward the end of the season last year. Uh, yeah. It, it was such a start and stop uh, situation with COVID and everything last year. And uh, I, I think they're just, you know, trying to gain any lesson they can from, from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had you know, Rashad Bateman opt out, opt in, then back out. And obviously he's a first round pick in this last year's draft. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting to, to see how all these teams kind of pick up. And obviously it was the same for everybody, but it was also to an extreme with them. I mean, you even you can imagine that kind of mid middle part of the season where they had the, you know, they had barely any players when they went to, was it Nebraska? Didn't they have yeah. like a, a decimated roster there? They had a pause. I mean, imagine that even if 2021 isn't completely normal, it's pretty close um, and that uh, we should get a more true accounting of where this program is at, at that point. A couple more things, Randy, one is Tanner Morgan is a big piece of that puzzle. As you saw, uh, as you watched spring practice, I know a lot of that's about building depth. What were your impressions of him, where he's at? And I guess also, you know, who he's going to throw the ball to and what the depth looks like on that side of the ball.
1: Yeah. I, I think Tanner, you know, Tanner looked efficient. Uh, that, that's, that's the main thing. And that's, that's always been Tanner. Um, last year was, it was a little bit more of a struggle. Um, yeah. When, when you, you don't have a, a Tyler Johnson anymore, and then you only have a Rashad Bateman at times, it, it, it made it tougher. Um, you know, they the, uh Chris Hoffman bell stepped up nicely. Um, Daniel Jackson, another, another uh, receiver um, freshman last year that, uh, played well and I think, I believe they'll be counting on him quite a bit. Uh, you know, that, that's uh, just basically Tanner building rapport with those guys will will be uh, uh interesting to see this year. Be interesting to see also if they, um, they move the, uh, if they uh, throw the tight end a little bit more, that, that type of situation. Uh I think too, what, what helps is that Tanner has uh, a lot more time this year with uh, coordinator Mike Sanford Jr. than he did last year that with, very little time, uh, last year in spring ball and then, uh, truncated, uh, fall camp. It, it they weren't, they didn't get a goal the way you would have, would have hoped on offense in the passing game. Obviously running game did great with, uh, Mo Moe Ibrahim.
0: Yep. And they should be good on the offensive line again, right? I mean, they, they've got a lot of depth and experience there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very, very much so. You know, you, you have the, the starters from last year back and then you return, uh, Curtis Dunlop Jr. from from injury and Daniel Falalele uh, from uh, from COVID nineteen opt out, so that that should be a very deep group.
0: Well, looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Obviously, we got a long way to go until you know fall camp, even in the start of the season. But appreciate the check in, Randy. Glad you got a chance to chat with PJ Fleck and kind of see an update. And uh, yeah, interested to see what kind of recruiting inroads they're able to make now that they are back. Doing that more in person, uh, Randy. Take care. We'll we'll talk to you again down the road for daily delivery. Okay.
1: Okay. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it.
0: Enjoyed talking to Randy Johnson, catching up a little bit on Gopher football. Like I said, you know, a big big year for them. I think I saw an over under come out over under on their win total, eight point five this year. That's a lot of optimism uh, coming out of the uh, the gambling world, probably because. If you look at this team, the offensive line and the defensive line look like they're going to be really good, really deep and very veteran. That could translate into wins. Wins in the trenches uh, tend to translate into wins on the field. So, optimism for this team, you know, even coming off of a, you know, that 3 and 4 season, maybe not don't throw that out completely, but uh thinking more that this could be more like 2019 than 2020 and that would certainly be a welcome sight around here. Let's finish with the cooler. Back to the Wild for a moment. Game 7. Brings back memories. I was helping to cover that back in two thousand three. Kind of funny. I didn't do much with that Colorado series where you know, Andrew Burnett scored the the winning goal. You know, obviously in Game Seven in Colorado, shocked the world. That this series feels a little bit more like that one uh, than the one that followed. I was actually covering a lot of the Timberwolves playoff series. They were playing the uh, the Lakers in the same at the same time. Kind of a a weird thing where both teams in the playoffs. Um, you don't get that every day. But once that was over, I got moved on to like some sidebar duty with the with the Wild in the Vancouver series, traveling back and forth to Vancouver. Um game seven of that series, I'm gonna talk a lot more about that with Wes Walls on uh on Friday's show. I'm gonna have Wes on, obviously, who's instrumental in uh, in that series, scored the tying goal in Game Seven, and now obviously does some great work with Bally Sports North. But I just remember from that game you know the Wild's resilience. They got down two nothing on the road in Game Seven against Vancouver after you know blowout wins in Games Five and Six. Um, they get one back in in the in the end of the first period of that game. No scoring in the second period. Then three goal blitz in the uh, in the third period to win four to two. That was the second series in a row they'd come back from three one. This Wild team trying to do the exact same thing. We will see if they can finish it off. Friday night. Excited to talk to West Walls about what that will take, what they what it did take in 2003, and all sorts of things like that on Friday's show. Thanks for joining me here today. Uh, please check, check back again. Friday should be a great show again. Like I said, West Walls on and uh, plenty of other things to go as well. We'll see you again on Friday.